Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Precision fermentation is emerging as one of the buzziest technologies in food, and even though it's been used safely for decades without raising eyebrows, new uses and broader awareness are prompting consumer questions that, if left unanswered, could threaten its full potential. To address concerns before they develop into full-blown challenges that could stunt product development and industry growth, nine companies that rely on the technology have come together to form the Precision Fermentation Alliance. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, PFA Chair Nikki Briggs of the animal-free dairy company Perfect Day and Vice Chair Irina Gary of Change Foods discuss new ways companies are using precision fermentation to reinforce and reimagine the food system. They also share how the trade group is preemptively tackling challenges, establishing best practices, and developing market access by engaging with regulators and unlocking funding. An updated twist on the centuries-old technique of fermentation Precision fermentation is the use of genetically modified yeast or other microorganisms that are later removed from the final products to convert minerals or plant matter into true-to-nature ingredients. And while precision technology has been used by food scientists for decades to create many common products, including vitamins and processing ingredients, sweeteners and flavors, new uses are grabbing headlines, which in turn is piquing consumer curiosity and could lead to stepped-up regulatory and legislative oversight. When you talk about the ingredients that have already been made with precision fermentation, those were either what we call in, in the industry called processing aids, so non-animal rennet used in 90% of cheese, but it's not something consumers really think about, right? It's used as a part of cheese making, not necessarily as a key ingredient. Vitamins um, are the things that are ingredients in the food that you might see, like citric acid, as Nikki mentioned, but that don't necessarily mean the, the processing of which or the way of making of which didn't necessarily make much difference to consumers. If it's vitamin B12 and it functions the same way, I don't think majority of consumers care exactly how it was manufactured or even know how it was manufactured. Same with citric acid, same with you know natural flavors, etc. And so I think the reason that there wasn't much fanfare or there wasn't really much communication about those is that it wasn't really needed, right? As long as manufacturers and, you know, the regulators had confidence that those ingredients were safe and, and made well and performed the same function, I don't think the mode of manufacturing mattered. Rather, what matters is the end product, which Gary notes now includes high-value macronutrients, including protein, carbohydrates, and lipids, that can deliver the same nutrition and protein quality of animal-based foods, but minus the animals. The biggest difference now and why even people who are in the food industry are discovering precision fermentation is because while the technology itself is kind of an evolution, right? We, we used microorganisms to make all these ingredients. Now we've just moved on to a next slate of ingredients, such as protein. But it is also a revolution because now we can have products like ice cream and cheese and yogurt and plant-based meats 
that are delivering on the nutrition, that are delivering on this kind of performance expectations that we could never previously do, all without the use of animals. So there's this kind of a new category creation that's happening because of this technology. And so I think that's, what's, that's why you're seeing so much conversation, so much fanfare, so much excitement. It makes a massive difference in terms of sustainability or animal welfare. Um, and that carries a meaningful consumer benefit that, you know, A, the companies who are making it want to communicate. So I think the difference really is not in the technology. The difference is really in our desire to message the benefit to consumer um, that, that's driving this change. With the messaging, of course, comes a little bit of skepticism around, you know, what is this new technology? Again, it's not new to us, but it's new to consumers. With increased awareness comes increased consumer skepticism, which Briggs notes industry must address before it snowballs into an unchecked fear. The, the skepticism is actually a really good thing for emerging industries like precision fermentation, right? I think the stakes are higher to operate with a level of integrity and transparency, right, that is really table stakes in terms of proving safety and value. And I think what we're continuing to see in terms of talking with consumers and retailers and looking at different research is that consumers are actually really open to technology in the food system so long as it's, you know, meeting their basic needs of taste and safety, but also is bringing additional values like sustainability, right? So I think by actually having to really communicate what this is and how it's made, it only helps all of us, right? It only elevates this emerging industry. Communicating clearly to consumers and the broader food industry what precision fermentation is and is not and the benefits that it confers was one impetus for establishing the Precision Fermentation Alliance, according to Briggs. We've seen more and more companies enter the space with aspirations to bring products and ingredients made using this technology to market. We thought it was just really important to come together, right? I mean, both for internal industry knowledge sharing, but also to really educate key stakeholders within the space and make sure that as this new industry is really banding together and proliferating new products into market, we're really aligning along, you know, best-in-class gold standards around safety and messaging and just really committing to making sure that this can be a viable industry. Yeah, I think awareness is pretty low right now, which makes sense, right? I mean, there's, you know, less than a handful of companies in market that have gone through approval and actually commercialized products for consumers, right? So there's just going to be an adoption curve in terms of more brands and products coming forward with different positionings and different formulations to really create lots of access for trial. I think that's when things are going to get really exciting. When you help a consumer understand what the process is and the benefits of it, interest really elevates significantly, right? They want to try products like this that are going to meet their needs for taste, but are also going to meet their aspirations for sustainability. Gary adds how PFA and companies using precision fermentation describe the technology will depend on who they're talking to, if they're a consumer or another stakeholder in the food system, and what their goals are. Depending on the kind of consumer and depending on the context in which they're seeking the information, the, the type of storytelling or the type of information we provide is going to be very different. 
for some consumers, they may want to dive in and really understand the technology because, you know, maybe they're, they're really into it and they really want to know how it's made and they're curious. Others just want to know, hey, is this whey protein the same as the other whey protein? You just made it without the cow. Got it right? And they don't need much else. And they already have the background knowledge around, you know, maybe animal agriculture, or maybe they're vegan for ethical reasons. And they're just happy to see a product that meets their nutritional requirements without having any involvement from the animals. So it is quite varied. The audience we're talking to is quite varied from, you know, just difference among consumers. But also, Elizabeth, as you mentioned, this is kind of new information to the food ecosystem. People that work in food, whether it's reporters or even manufacturers or even some of the retailers, are still very much on the learning curve. So we have a lot of work to do across the ecosystem, speaking to different stakeholders at different points in time, and developing these you know, levels of communication from the simplest you know, at shelf what it is and what it isn't, and, you know, maybe an allergen uh, warning because some people are allergic to, say, milk proteins, all the way through kind of the most sophisticated explanation maybe for the food reporters or for scientists or for um, people who work in formulation, right? So it's, it's quite varied, and we have a lot of work to do. I think right now we're still very, very early on, and so this is why we felt that it was important to come together as an industry because we wanted to have consistent language, consistent maybe even analogies or consistent examples um, in order to bring people along. Personally, what I found the most kind of interesting and exciting is, is this idea of, hey, this sounds really new, but you've been eating foods made with precision fermentation for decades. It's very disarming for people because then they feel that there's a already a connection, there's presence, and there's kind of this safety record. If they've been eating, you know, cereals and breads and, and, you know, cheese made with this technology, and this is just another ingredient, it does, it, it automatically feels a lot less scary, I would say, to many consumers. And so that's one of the levels that, that we need to continue to communicate. But I would say we have a lot, a lot of work to do ahead of us still. As PFA and others continue to innovate with precision fermentation and drive consumer demand, it also needs to build up manufacturing capacity, which Briggs explains is currently insufficient. One of the core challenges for this industry will, is now and will continue to be manufacturing capacity, right? Because that infrastructure just doesn't exist, especially in the United States. So I think there will be, you know, numerous initiatives, whether it's around internal knowledge sharing and resource sharing versus banding together and really working collaboratively to come up with recommendations and guardrails for how the federal government and, you know, state governments can continue to invest into building out this infrastructure, right, and continues to be leaders in, in biotechnology and innovation, which we as an industry think we can play a really large role in a loud voice in shaping. And we have to right, to keep up with the demand that continues to increase for, for foods made with these products and ingredients. A key part of scaling precision fermentation will be ensuring and communicating its safety to consumers, which Gary says will require close coordination with regulators. There's an inherent neophobia when it comes to food, whether it's technology or different food experience or anything that, that comes with, with food. And so I think we have a job to do in terms of building trust, and helping consumers understand just the safety aspect of it. And so in addition to 
the companies themselves being transparent and clear around, you know, how these foods are made and, and the safety of the technology, governments and kind of third-party um, regulators or endorsers play a massive role because they are independent from the companies, and they are the ones that look at this and say, yes, this is approved, you know, by a food safety standards. It's very, very important um, that consumers understand that, A, we are 100% a regulated industry, that all of the foods that will be coming to market will follow all of the regulatory guidelines, and making sure that we work hand-in-hand -hand with regulators around, you know, making sure that all of these standards are followed, that there's clear communication around these foods being approved under, under the standards. She adds PFA also will look to streamline and standardize regulations, which currently vary significantly across markets. In some markets, it's um, easier. In some markets, it's harder to apply existing frameworks to this new um, food technology. Um, some markets like the EU have a much different view on, you know, products made with genetically modified ingredients. Does that framework still apply? Does that need to be updated given the fact that this technology has now evolved quite a bit further and there's now new considerations to be made? There's a lot of debate and discussion around what are these foods allowed to be called? Right? It's, it, plan-based um, debate is still ongoing, right? The FDA just issued finally guidance last week on plan-based milk, and that has been around for, for a very, very long time. And what you call these foods and how you label these foods is going to make a tremendous difference in terms of consumers' ability to understand what they are, what they're not, and what the benefit is, right? And so when you think about these layers, those are all either accelerants or hindrances to bring these products to market. And it comes back to how do we as an industry work together, collaborate with regulators, with governments, with institutions, with retailers to help us put these products to market in the most clear, streamlined, accessible way. Because to me that you know, that can make a really big difference in terms of speed to market and adoption uh, of these products globally. Just a few weeks old, PFA also has a lot of internal work ahead to ensure that its new trade group fairly represents and welcomes stakeholders from across the value chain. To that end, Briggs and Gary say that the group will share more details about membership and tiered involvement in the coming weeks on its website, pfalliance.org, where listeners can also find an email address to express their interest to learn more or ask questions. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.